So we're going to be talking about is the oh there we go. All right. Um, talking about the last two petitions. Sorry, yeah, please be seated. Um, we're going to be talking about the last two petitions of the Lord's Prayer, uh, petitions six and seven. And so we can find those in. My clicker's not working. Can you hit the next slide? There you go. Let's go ahead and read this together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If, if I aim it like there, will it click? How do I turn it on? There we go. All right. Took me all semester long, but I got it. Turn it on. All right. So in talking about temptation and evil, we have to understand that they really go hand in hand like peanut butter and chocolate. Or maybe the evil version of peanut butter and chocolate, like, I don't know, almond butter and Nutella or something like that. So I know I'll probably get hate email later on for that comment. So um, there are two words that I want to look at today in regards to temptation and evil. The first word is a Greek word for temptation, which is periosmos, and the Greek word for evil, which is poneros. And we're going to look at, actually, poneros first. So, this word, um, we want to look at this in regards to what Luther actually says about this word and his exegesis on this, because I think he's just spot on in regards to what he says. And, and this actually comes from the large catechism. And Luther says, in the Greek, this petition read, deliver us from or protect us against the evil one or the wicked one. It seems that the petition is speaking of the devil as the sum of all evil in order to direct the total weight of our collective prayers against our arch enemy. Now, the interesting thing is, is that when we tend to pray this prayer and this specific petition, deliver us from evil, I think we tend to think about evil in a more abstract way. But back in the day when Jesus taught about this, he had specifically in mind evil that was related to the devil himself. And that's why poneros can be uh, interpreted as evil one or wicked one, as Luther talks about. Um, think about Jesus' ministry for a moment, right? He's the king bringing the kingdom. The Lord's Prayer is a kingdom prayer. And we look at the life of Jesus, one of the things that we see in his life that he is all about delivering people from the evil one, right? His ministry of exorcism that we just see in spades in the Gospel of Mark is a testimony to this. And we see references in Matthew and Luke too as well. Interesting enough, John's Gospel, there are no exorcism stories, but at the end of the gospel, Jesus talks about how he has come in a reference to the cross and how his cross is actually going to be kind of like a cosmic exorcism as he kicks Satan out of the world. And so we see this, that this is part important part of the prayer, deliver us from the evil one in the machinations of the devil and what he seeks to do um, in trying us Christians. In talking about temptation... This word is actually the more challenging word uh, to think about and understand and to identify. Periosmos can actually be uh, interpreted as either temptation or testing. Dr. Middendorf talked a little bit about this last week. And the interesting thing about this word is that it's oftentimes in Scripture driven by content with how the interpreters will uh, play that out in regards to whether they say it's testing or tempting. And I want to look at two examples of this in James. James 1, verses 2 through 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, periosmos, of various kinds, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then a little bit later in that chapter, we read this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There's that Greek word again. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, and there's that same Greek word. I am being tempted, that same word by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we even see in that same section of James how the same Greek word gets used differently. And so this is what people say, well, how we'd understand this? Is this testing or is this temptation? And does it make a difference in regards to how we understand that word? Also, in this, uh, when we read in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, what I found was very fascinating is that there seems to be a time when maybe God is leading someone into temptation. Um, Mark 1, verses 12 through 13. Uh, this is a story about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And we read this. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted, periosmos, by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, here's the thing we can say about that, right? God is not doing the tempting, right? But God is leading Jesus in the wilderness where he is tempted. Okay, that's something important we need to think about. And we're going to cycle back to this idea that God allows temptation to occur. So here is pretty much the chart of the scholars and where they tend to land the plane in regards to this one Greek word, right? These are all the various ways in which you can interpret this. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to test your patience, nor am I going to tempt you to fall asleep or run screaming from the CU Center. And what that means is I'm not going to go through each and every one of these and talk about the pros and cons in regards to where this leads and where this goes. We just don't have the time to do that. And if you're like me, when you look at something like this, maybe you feel like this is sort of a hair-pulling moment. Ah, how do I understand this? Is this supposed to be temptation or testing going on? Or maybe I'm just alone in that. So, but there are some things that we can say about temptation and testing that I think are important. First of all, God doesn't tempt, but he does test. Here's why I think the translators of James in verse 13, they use the word temptation, right? Because they, it would not make sense if we were to say, God does not test, because we do see in the Bible that God does indeed test. Go back to the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? There's a testing going on there, right? Abraham, I want you to take your one and only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him to me. That indeed is a test. Satan tempts, though, Right? We see that all the way back in the beginning, Genesis 3, right? That question, did God really say? I think it's interesting, too, that when we look at the temptation accounts of Jesus, we hear a similar echo of the devil in the wilderness. If you really are the Son of God, right? Satan does tempt. Here's the thing, though. God allows Satan to tempt. And we have to wrestle through that a little bit, too, as well. What does that mean? And we're going to talk a little bit about a story that's going to highlight that. But what can we say about temptation testing? They have two different goals. Temptation is for you to doubt and fall away from your faith. That is the goal of temptation. By the way, temptation ultimately is not to get you to sin. Because you sin, why? Because you are a 
Sinner, thank you very much, right? We are all sinners, we're going to sin. It's not like you fall into sin and Satan's like, oh, I got Tom Park to sin again. Woo, kind of a thing, right? Satan's ultimate goal is to get you to doubt your faith and to get you to fall away from your faith, right? This is why Jesus said that Satan was, from the beginning, a liar and a murderer. He plays for keeps, right? This is a warfare that he wants to win kind of thing in regards to our own lives. So you might say, well, wait a minute, but but think about my own sin, because I feel like I'm being tempted to sin, sure. But think about this. Imagine those sins in your life that you keep going back to, right? Like the fly buzzing over the dung heap, right? We know those sins that we go back to. If we keep going back to that, that wears us down in our faith. So sometimes where you get people where after a while, they're just like, you know what? Forget this. I would much rather have the dung heap than I would about the good gifts of God. And so I'm just going to walk away from that and go in this direction. Right? That's, that's Satan's ultimate goal. Doubt and get you to fall away from your faith. On the flip side, testing is about strengthening your faith. Okay? Uh, even vindicating your faith in that regards. But because this word, uh, periosmos, is ambiguous, it's sometimes difficult to determine which is which. Am I being tempted or am I being tested? And guess what? Sometimes it's both and. For example, Job. If you know the story of Job, right, it starts off and, and we see Job and he's talking about being this righteous man and and the story goes where Satan's been going around the world, and he comes back to report to God. And God and Satan are having a conversation, and God says, have you seen my man Job? And Satan says, sure I have. But here's the thing, God. I, I think that the reason why Job has faith in you and why Job praises and worships you is because of the fact that you blessed him with all these great things. I think if you take these things away from Job, he's going to curse your name. He's going to give you the middle finger, God, and he's going to walk away. And so God says, okay, well, let's test Job. And Job is a very difficult book, I think, for us to read through and for us to wrestle through. But we see this, and right, we see the fact that his children are taken away, and the fact that his wealth is taken away. In the end, Job is, is, is in, a, in an ash heap where he's scratching with uh, pottery sherds at his, at his skin and his disease that he has kind of thing. And there's a temptation, right? Because Satan is tempting Job to doubt God and to fall away from his faith. In fact, Satan even at one moment uses Job's wife because Job's wife tells Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, no. If I am going to accept the good things from God, should I not also accept the bad? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? And Job, and if we go through the whole story of Job, we see at the end that he is actually vindicated and he's strengthened in his faith this testing that he goes through. I love this uh, quote from David Crump. He's a New Testament scholar. It was a book that he wrote on um, uh, petitionary prayer in the New Testament that I read this summer. It was, it was very eye-opening to me. And I think this is just really key in regards to how we kind of wrestle through this. And he says, deciding how to distinguish the two, testing or temptation, is finally determined more by a response than it is by the circumstances themselves. We can sp- spend a lot of time trying to figure out, is this a test that I'm going through? Is this a temptation that I'm going through? And in the end, the result is all about your faith. Do you fall away in your faith, or are you strengthened in your faith, right? That's what it aims at. That's where it's going for. 
So what's the point of all of this? It's to not rely upon our own strength, right? When we look at this part of the prayer, it's really not about us trying to rely upon our own strength, our own willpower, those kinds of things, when the testings or the temptations come. Because guess what, people? We will fail every single time if we think, hey, I can just do this all on my own. Rather, we're to look to the one who strengthens us in the midst of it all. There are some scholars that say that maybe we should understand this idea of not lead us, lead us not into temptation, but this idea of leading us in the midst of the temptation. That God is with us in the midst of those temptations, in the midst of those trials. That we're never alone and that we call upon the one who is with us in and all that and to rely upon him. Ultimately, prayer really is about our utter, utter, utter dependence and reliance upon God and God alone. And we see this in the entirety of the Lord's Prayer itself. It starts off, right? How does it start off? Our Father, right? If you think about that, the understanding of that is that you and I are children. And, and if anyone has young children, young children are reliant, dependent upon their parents. And that's, that's the notion, and this is the idea. Jesus talks about this even in regards to coming into the kingdom is that we're like little children. Why? Because we're utterly dependent upon God to be even in his kingdom. And it's the same way with prayer. Our Father, we know that we're dependent upon you. And how are we dependent upon God? Well, we read through it, right? About his will to be done, not our own, right? We're dependent upon God in regards to him giving us, giving us our daily needs. We're dependent upon God's forgiveness. And that forgiveness that we then share after we've received that we share with other people, right? We're also dependent upon God in regards to the trials and the temptations we go through and the machinations of the devil that wants to just destroy our faith. Utterly, utterly dependent. And this is why the Lord's Prayer is really a child's prayer, right? As we look back to our Father and say, help me, I need your help. I'm dependent upon you. Lastly, too, that we need to look to Jesus and look ultimately to the cross. You know, it's interesting, if you look at Jesus and his own temptation that he went through with, in the wilderness with the devil, what did Jesus rely upon? The word of God. Is there something that, that uh, is a lesson for us to learn from that? Should we not, whether we're going through temptations or trials or testings or whatever it might be, should we not turn back to the word of God to help us and strengthen us in the midst of all that? And ultimately, too, we go back to the cross, right? Man, if you want to see a place of trial and testing and temptation, is that not the place? And Christ is victorious in that, and then we also receive that victory in him so that we can stand in the midst of those trials and those temptations and those testings that go on because Christ has stood for us. With that being said, I want to invite you to stand, because I think it's appropriate. Although we just sang the Lord's Prayer, I think we should also end this time together as we close out the Lord's Prayer and pray the Lord's Prayer together.